Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I speak with Amy Babish, a licensed psychotherapist with over 20 years of experience. She pivoted and is now a somatic expert and leadership relationship coach. Listen in to find out what are some of the unique ways in which she coaches people, what approaches and techniques have evolved over the years, and are there any commonalities amongst the different clients she works with? Enjoy this episode. Amy, thank you so much for being on Relatable. I'm excited to chat with you, and I really like it when I have an opportunity to talk to somebody I don't know very well. I feel like you know we haven't met before, so I I'm excited to learn about what you do and how you do it. You're uh, not not give away all your secrets, but a little bit of your your secret sauce. I told you before that we have a common friend who suggested that we connect, and so I'm just really excited to learn a little bit more about what you do and also your path to this point, uh, because I feel like for people that are listening, they can get a, a read on a different type of career path, which is something that I love to do for our audience. So thank you so much for being here. I'm dazzled and very honored to be here, and I'm excited to see what, what unfolds for, for us and the listeners. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so as a fellow coach, we're both coaches, I, I focus more of my time in the executive coaching space, although I also work a lot with youth development too in terms of interview coaching and helping them kind of get unstuck and find their way through through their careers or just entering their careers. Tell me a little bit about your coaching practice, You know what it is that you do and how you would characterize it. So I would characterize my work as somatic experiential work with, with mindset once we feel uh, safety in the body. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a psychotherapist for 20 years and we could talk about that later, but that's just, you know, to what I'm doing now. Yeah. Uh, so I work with people who are purpose-driven and high achievers who have felt like either they've hit the wall and they know that there must be more and they don't know exactly what it is. And, or I work with people who have really knocked it out of the park professionally, but would like to have more intimacy in their relationships or create or, or co-create the relationship that has amazing intimacy. So I, I talk about my work as kind of like an infinity loop. So you come for one thing and then it impacts the other thing mm. and it just keeps on growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger on both, both ends of the spectrum. And so, um, the people who are high achievers who come for personal work specifically, then they just see their work in the world, like have a massive ripple effect. Um, and then the people who come for, um, their work in the world, they see, Oh, wow. This is going to change my relationship too, both right. personally and professionally. I was a word of mouth, kind of best kept secret for a long time. And then my work shifted when I uh, shifted to coaching and I would describe my work kind of, I don't know if this is a good reference for most of your listeners, but the TV show House, mm. he did dif- differential diagnosis medically. I would say that I'm kind of a different diagnostic uh, coach. So I work really holistically. I'm trained in many different modalities and People come to me oftentimes with what feels impossible for them. And I, I get a kick out of like blowing people's minds with themselves and just seeing yeah. how, how easy, like this is the agenda that they come with and we work through it in a, in a very short period of time. So 
Yeah, that's, that's probably what I do in a nutshell. And then I also offer retreats and courses and I offer them out of my home outside Washington, D.C. on Doeg land. And I also uh, offer retreats globally. And the pandemic gave me a pause on that work, but I've been doing yeah. that for about a decade um, prior to the pandemic. Wow, it sounds fascinating. And I feel like there's so, so many questions that I have. Interestingly, in terms of that pivot from whether or not it was traditional or not, but going from being a psychotherapist to a coaching practice and how it's evolved and how it's changed for you. Tell me a little bit about that path because you spent 20 years in that discipline. So tell me about that shift and and what led to that shift and why. Of course, it's quite a journey. So yeah. I started out as an art therapist. And I worked oh. um, inside of uh, the city of Washington, D.C. for about a decade with um, children and teens as a sex abuse and sex trafficking psychotherapist and art therapist. Wow. And, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a very exuberant person, but I'm also like no joke in terms of my skill set and how I can help people through a lot of very complex suffering and um, nuance of what they might be experiencing. And when I had my daughter, uh, I was married to a Japanese national for a long time and we lived in Japan when I had my daughter. My first kind of shift in my work was that I received a, a video of Brene Brown's work from my dad, and this was in 2011, and said, hey, you should check, check this out. And so then I was a very early adopter of Brene Brown's work. And when I came back from Japan, I started working with adults. And so I started working with a lot of diplomats, a lot of people globally who were really struggling with fame, and they didn't know how to find people certified in Brene's work. And so I was a consultant for Brene early on. And my work started to really become about helping people navigate really complex pain and suffering and shame yeah. um, in, in a very, um, very private way, but also um, in a really powerful way. And then along the way, I found, I found a mentor. Um, his name is Dan Bufo and he's, he changed my life personally more than probably any, anybody I've ever met. Uh, and he introduced me to the somatic skill set that I have now. And he was an economist. And then he became a healer and he's in his seventies. And so I continued to kind of evolve as a psychotherapist and what you might call a healer mm-hmm. and intuitive for about a decade. And then during the pandemic, my soul was just like, it roared and it said no more therapy, like mm. no more. And I was seeing about 35 clients a week, which is a big, huge yeah. amount of people for, for those people who don't know, psychotherapists usually see anywhere between 10 and 15 clients a week, which is a big caseload client load and um i had a supervisor i had dan i had a business coach so i was really getting as much possible possible kind of eyes on my practice shifting as possible and i did the very best i I could with what i knew how to do and i royally made some mistakes so i changed my business model and i changed my price point and i did all at once so if anyone who's listening around changing your business model learn from my mistakes you can't shift all those things at once because you lose the trust of the people who really invested in themselves with you for quite some mm-hmm. time. And so I've done a lot of work around that, Yeah, but I couldn't continue as a psychotherapist for, for many, many different reasons. Um, and during the pandemic, I saw kind of the continuum of people skewing that really needed mental health support. They, they kind of were just in a holding pattern or even got worse. And then the people who kind of rose up in the pandemic and said, yeah, this is really horrible for many people, but I want to move forward. Those people kind of skewed towards coaching for me. And it was a very clear divide. And mm-hmm. before I would have said it was a bell curve that had a big percentage 
And it just became like this very like inverse shelter where mental health was really going in one direction and coaching was in a completely different direction. Yeah. And you said the word somatic a couple of times. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Tell me, tell me what that means. Yes. So the way that I describe somatic work is that, you know, I work with people that are literally brilliant and sometimes people get confused that information creates transformation and information is like important and it helps us to understand things, but information doesn't oftentimes create lasting transformation for many people. And so working somatically means that when we get into overwhelm, and you, there's many words for overwhelm, feeling stressed out, feeling burnt out, feeling adrenal fatigue, feeling like you have migraines, feeling like you have problems with your period yeah. or lower back problems, like any kind of thing for one person and it's all related. And so when we don't have a, a, the capacity to tolerate overwhelm and overwhelm can be little things like somebody screaming at you in your car or bigger things like ongoing racism or mistreatment at work or mistreatment by a partner or very complex things when we kind of continue to suppress what we've been told about ourselves or what we tell ourselves about ourselves in our critic work it goes into the body it doesn't just go into an abyss like everything's fine here it doesn't just go away it, it it compounds in the body and so somatic work i'm trained in many different somatic models but the way that i do somatic work means that we get out of the story that you're telling yourself because kind of like a catch 22, like, you know, yourself, you know, the problem and then nothing changes. Like your zero point is always zero. You don't shift the dial at all. Um, and I'm a big hiker. And I, I also talk about it in terms of a hike, like it's an out and back hike. You're going to the yeah. same destination and you're walking back and then you rinse and repeat next week. Like it's the same, same, same. And for some people talk therapy and talk coaching is effective, but you kind of plateau or hit a wall because you're like, I know it, it, it has to be different, but I don't know how to allow it to be different. And so going into the body and I don't put hands on anybody. People yes. often ask me that, like, do you put hands on clients? Absolutely not. I, I see most people virtually these days. Um, you, I teach people how to go into their body and dialogue with their body. So dialogue with organs, dialogue with tension, with stress, with pain, and dialogue with like what we might call like um, anxiety, like so it's not from an up above place. It's from taking what I would call like the elevator or lift of your awareness into your body. And I facilitate a conversation with where, where things are stuck. Mm. And so when you experience that sense of freedom, then a whole new world opens up in terms of opportunities with, oh, I didn't, I didn't think of this possible solution or I didn't know this was my, my next best step. So it's not just, you know, resolving things in the body and then no support. It's very concrete and very actionable, very clear work. It's so interesting because I'm, it's interesting that we're talking right now because I am absolutely at a point where I'm starting to really understand myself and even the information that I'm reading and the people I'm talking to. You know, when you start to get into a zone of, of this idea of everything being connected. And I think when you look at, um, I've had some, some health stuff lately and when you look at Western medicine and just the compartmentalized, everything's so compartmentalized and that, at least in the US, and that's how we're raised effectively to treat everything as its own isolated thing. And oh, by the way, here's a pill, right? So it's like, yeah, here's for your gut and then I'm gonna give you these three things versus like, uh, it's all 
connected. And then to take that a step further of some of that, whatever's going on, and I, I believe this, like cell, at a cellular level, like some of that trauma or things that have happened to you that are sort of sitting in your body and being able to like talk with someone like you who is skilled, who is trained to bring that to a, cause that's kind of some woo woo stuff, right? <laughs> For people that are like, when you talk about high achievers and people that are very top of their game and particularly when I think about corporate America and the way that, you know, to get sort of from that kind of human that's sort of type A and geared a certain way to come over to, hey, this is all connected and to to understand like physical impacts, the emotional impacts, the physical impacts, like the whole thing. And I, you know, I just had this conversation yesterday where I realized, because I think it's so relevant, I, I recently saw a chiropractor and it was the first time I had seen him. And he said, after maybe 30 minutes with me, he said, it's pretty apparent that you've been in fight or flight your whole life. And it took this guy that I barely know, I'm 53, I think, will be very soon, to say that in that way. And I was like, oh my God. It was just like all these light bulbs went off. And it was like at a time where I think I could hear, I actually ready to change it. Because like that was my survival for so long anyway. So it was like what made me be able to be successful and be a hard driver and all those things. But just to kind of start getting all these pieces of like, there's so much that goes into it. It's not just it's not just the physical symptom and it's not just, you know, the the like psychological trauma. I just feel like it's all connected. Do you feel like that's a big kill, hill that you have to climb in order to help people understand those connections? Well, oftentimes, I mean, I think that the way that you're talking about it is so um, important because I'm not here to take anything away from anybody if it's working. Right. But oftentimes people come to me because they know that they want more. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of people that see me are uber healthy, like CrossFit, gluten-free, dairy-free, right. all those things. They go to, you know, they go to an integrative medicine doctor and they, you know, they meditate. They do, they do, they are doers. Give them something to do and they're Yes, honest. yes. And, but then you get to this, this impasse where you're like something, this can't be it. Like there has to be more than this because I can cross off anything in my bucket list. And so then when you're, when you have the humility to say, I I'd rather be wrong about everything that I thought was my way Mm -hmm. because I'm willing to receive more in this life or be more in this life or create more impact or let more love in all kinds of things. And that, and that longing that comes up is very real. Like it's so, that is the drive. That's like putting the the key into the ignition of like, this is the second life that I'm going to co-create. And in terms of, you know, being in fight or flight, there's so much research around trauma, but the confusion is that trauma has to be what we call it. What we differentiate as trauma specialists is capital T trauma, which is like getting in a car accident, having cancer, being abused and um, little t trauma, which is subjective or idiosyncratic is no different in any kind of brain scan across mm. socioeconomic class, across, across, you know, where you live in the world, trauma is trauma is trauma. And subjectively, all of the little T's compound our nervous system in the same way that a capital T trauma does. And when you have more capital T's, it becomes more compounded and more complex. The more that you're willing to say, it's not about going back through 
like all the things that happened. Someone like me, I don't, I don't, I don't need to know right. your whole history. Like people dread about going to therapy because like, I got to start again. This, that's not what this work is. And yeah. I see a lot of people, a lot of high achievers who are adopted. And so they don't even know their birth story. Mm, they don't know where they're from. Or they might know like the country, like broadly, like I'm from India, but I don't have any roots. I don't even know which orphanage I came from. And another layer of the work is working with lineage because we all carry things that hmm. are the strengths from our lineage, but we also carry some of the, what we call the omissions, which are family secrets, betrayals, tragedies, and they, they get passed down intergenerationally. And sometimes when you've done a ton of personal work and you know yourself really well, and it's like, you don't have any pain in your body. You're like, why can't I move forward? <laughs> and the lineage yeah. work is a part of how I support people. So it's really all connected. Like, mind, body, spirit, soul, on such a deep level. Like we are much more nuanced than we could ever imagine. Yeah, it made me think of when you say the little T, big T, there's the, um, is it called ACEs? Do you know about? Yes. Yeah. Yep. What is the that? Ace, the ACEs scale. What, rem, remind me what, the, do you remember what that stands for? Is it? So it, it's a childhood, childhood adversity scale. And so it's a great scale to look up. If you Google it with NPR has a really good article on it. Yeah it allows you to notice how much kind of complexity you have in your trauma history because zero to 18 is really where it compounds in our system Mm -hmm. and it's related to a lot of health problems long-term. I introduced the ACE of scale just recently to um, offering part of my work that I do is uh, I do reparations as part of my business model and I I offer a global retreat every year pro bono and this year it's in Lebanon. Mm. And so I was invited to work with Middle Eastern women and they, they carry a ton of trauma. They're frontline peacekeepers and justice builders working with women who have been absconded, who go missing, who've been killed, and all kinds of really complex um, trauma stories. I'm trying to get them more funding for their work. And I said, we absolutely have to use the ACEs scale and ask them to complete it, even though it's not 100% culturally um, competent or culturally sensitive. I don't know any other scale that helps people understand the trauma that we're carrying a lot of trauma scales will talk about like what's happened today or the past two weeks. And that doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm a functional adult. Like that doesn't really help you see the whole picture of what you're carrying in your nervous system, in your psyche, in your emotional body. And so I really recommend the ACEs scale to understand, not to, not to give you like, it's not like a, this is going to be your, your sentence for the rest of your life, but it helps you understand, have compassion for all, how much, how much you're bringing into a conversation or a relationship. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. And I think that was so illuminating for, I'm one of five and one of my sisters found it. And it was so illuminating to be able to look at that scale and see, because of maybe there wasn't the big T of like where it was so obvious, but we, I remember the text ring was like, we have like 15 of these things. You know, there was just so many things on there that it was like, and it, it is kind of things that have become socialized that you don't think are an issue, but have impacts. So I feel like that knowledge is power and maybe that step of like self-awareness or being able to 
um, check in. The other thing I think you said that I love too, which is when you said kind of that longing or that thing in you that's like, I want to be different and I want to do something different. I want to feel different. And just that alone to, to get you to the conversation, like the rest kind of unfolds and happens in a way that like is transformational. So for people that are listening that are afraid, because I think it's scary to think like I'm gonna have to open all these wounds or I don't, you know, it's like we're all just sort of like grinding it, um, <laughs> like white knuckling it. And it's not like, you know, someone sits down and talks to you and like it all, you know, there's there's stages and there's process and there's ways to maneuver that that's not so scary, you know? So I think I just want to make sure people know that like you can, if you have that feeling, go for it, you know, tr- try to find ways to to serve yourself because it can really benefit you hugely. I mean, if people, if people are willing, the process that I use is one of the foundations of the work. I have tons of free thematic meditations on Insight Timer and they have different titles and it's not like empty, like there's nothing wrong with empty your mind meditation, but when you have a lot of trauma and overwhelm your system and you have like a to-do list that keeps on coming up or these are the things I'm worrying about, that means you're out of your body and to be in the body is how you start to rewire your nervous system. And so somatic meditation is not the same as a seated rigid meditation. And so I have so so much evidence from so many like top fortune 20 companies, fortune 500 companies of C-suite people who come to this kind of work and they're like, I feel more alive than I did in my twenties. Mm. Just the meditations alone. And so it's a free resource that is, really life-changing and learning to work somatically like this, it helps you to reset and have like such a deeper bandwidth for how you show up at work. You won't be as exhausted, how you come home after work. You won't like yell at your pet, your kid, your your partner. Um, So you won't yell at people in traffic. (laughs) So getting, working with someone who's skilled is a privilege, which I recognize. And if you, if you don't have the finances for that, there's, Working with people who are skilled, who offer free offerings, that's really important because a lot of people use the word trauma-informed, which is beautiful, but the kind of somatic somatic expertise that I'm talking about is not just like, I understand trauma. It's not from a thinking place, it's from a self-sense place. And you mentioned some free resources. Is that if people go to your website or where can they find those meditations? So I have two free meditations if you sign up for my newsletter. Okay. And then on Insight Timer, which is an app, you can, it's, it's a free app and there's thousands and thousands of meditation teachers on there. I offer, I think I have maybe 10 on there oh, cool. that are free. Okay. So they're absolutely, absolutely free. In- awesome. Just under my name, Amy Babish. I don't go by any pseudonym. Yeah. My name is unique. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Interesting. Okay. So then maybe you're touching on it a little bit, but I think it would be really interesting as as the work that you're doing now, and if you think maybe the last five years, like what are some of the themes that you see? Like, do you see reoccurring themes? And then, I know I'm not supposed to stack questions, but I'm going to. And then, you know, what are some of the solutions? Like without, you know, I know it's not, we can't fix it here in the next 30 minutes, but maybe just some ideas around like, what are some of those things that you're seeing? Because I also feel like people love to not feel alone. (laughs) So if they hear like, that's me, that's me, I have that. Uh, it's always like reassuring. Uh, and then some of the solutions are ways, what works, you know, to help people through that. So a common experience for a lot of people that come to see me is that they're literally the smartest one in the room. Mm-hmm. So they can go in and like, they can problem solve and like strategize and like make 
literally stuff happen like like this and they do it effortlessly and um, they have an immense amount of like output and, and impact professionally and when it comes to their personal life they feel literally like dumbfounded is, is a kind way to say it but really frustrated mm. so they wonder if they're either in two camps either they have a relationship that's committed but they don't know how to let the love in that's right in front of them and that's that's a very painful dynamic um, or they have not dated because they just don't have a lot of safety around personal relationships or they date unavailable partners mm-hmm. and so the stories that they tell themselves, like I'm a successful person at work, why can't I make my personal relationships work? It's a very painful one. And one of the biggest life-changing concepts for people is that you know your, your strategy for how you kick butt in the uh, professional realm is very different than what we call the love map for intimacy and connection in your personal life. And so we all carry a love map that's conscious and unconscious about um, relationship. And so this is personal relationships and and romantic relationships. Um, and it could also kind of go into personal relationships at work. Sure. In some workplaces, you, you have so- close friends. Yeah. A nugget for people to sit with and yeah. people can journal about it. They can just be curious about it is when you start a relationship, either a friendship, a relationship at work or a romantic partnership, we have a strategy that is the beginning of, this is how we do beginnings. Mm. And then, Oftentimes we don't know that we have an unconscious strategy for how long-term relationships can look. And so we always want to put our best foot forward, just like an interview. But this is why there's like a 90-day grace period at most places, because I don't know you and you don't meet. Like, I don't know how this work culture works and you don't know how I'm going to show up. And we throw all that out the window when it comes to personal relationships. We believe that like this slice of the pie that I'm showing you, this is the best slice of the pie that I'm showing you, we think it's the whole pie. And what I tell people is that when someone is really stable and has a lot of healthy healthy ways to relate to themselves in, in the world, it takes about six months to know, to know somebody. And when we have more complexity, we have a higher ACEs score, we have baggage, which we all do, yeah. it takes on average 12 to 18 months and sometimes longer to really know somebody. And so one of the big things I work on with people is recognizing that we don't overinvest in relationships because that's where we get hurt. And so Brene has a wonderful uh, metaphor about trust in the marble jar, which mm-hmm. super helpful professionally and also personally. And the nuance that I bring with being an attachment trauma expert is that not everybody has this mason jar and that's the visual to give for it. And yeah. so mason jar, you know, a mug in case you don't know what that is. Yeah. And when you have a lot of trauma, a lot, like a very, very high space for you have the capacity of a thimble. Uh, can a marble uh, even fit into a thimble? And some of us have a story that if I was kinder or if I did more things, this person would receive me more or receive what I'm doing for them more. And this, this goes at work too. Mm, and yeah. there's nothing that I could do more or less that would change someone else's capacity. And the gradation of the capacity is like baby food jar, then a bucket, marble jar, like a mason jar, bucket. And then I'm from Pittsburgh. We we get as much rain as Seattle. (laughs) We use 
garbage cans, but I don't like to say garbage cans, so we call it a rain barrel. Yeah. We collect rainwater. Some of us who have done a lot of personal work or who have like the unicorn uh, secure attachment style, we can fit like thousands of marbles in there. And so if we have a rupture, personally and professionally, and a hundred marbles drop, drop out, I know I've got me, and I know you've got you if you have that same capacity. And so we can work to start to repair the trust. Mm-hmm. But if I have even a mason jar and you have a thimble, yeah. we're going to keep on missing each other. And like, why isn't this working? Yeah. So there's a lot of different factors that go into um, shifting your relationship patterns and shifting your relationship strategies, both personally and professionally. And in terms of leadership work, getting teams to be on board with you as a leader, a big part of this is understand how to build capacity in your, in your team. And many people use shame, coercion and manipulation as a means of motivating people to get on board. We think that that's going to make someone stronger. And that is, that creates fear. And then that creates submission and resignation and it's not real trust. Um, and so, and I would argue bad people, performance, right? So yes, I would add uh, that to yes. it too. So it's like not just it actually infiltrates even, and that's almost I'm an HR person by trade. So, so I, you know, that that idea of like, you know, that toxicity then just becomes and it permeates everywhere. And then you've got people that are there; they're not leaving, but they just don't. They're not performing, and they don't really want to engage because of how they're going to be treated. It's not psychologically safe, right? And you know, especially with the silent resignation that's happening. Yeah. It's like really to understand how do I rebuild trust? And it's not just how do I motivate people because people can't get motivated. They don't trust you. Right. So, yeah. So this, this is, this is how we go into like being really curious around how am I going about rebuilding relationships when there's been rupture or how am I over-investing too early on when I don't know someone they don't love me? Mm-hmm. that's a game changer for people. Yeah, I love it. So for you personally, in terms of your own interest in being a psychotherapist and and going down to the, you know, going where you are now, like, did you always know you wanted to do that? Is it something that you found later? Like, tell me a little bit about just your path to being in therapy and being a psych, you know, and, and especially your early work, like that's like you're on the front lines in terms of what you were describing, what you what you did there. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grow yeah, up. Yeah. So, you know, some, some people have that beautiful, like, drive. Yeah. I did not have that. And I grew up in a very kind of traditional family that there's a lot of, like, um, men were in charge and the women just listened. So I have, I'm first generation, second generation from different sides of my family. And, you know, you don't know any different. And so you just do what you're told. Yeah. And so my dad wanted me to be a doctor. I ended up being a chemistry minor in college, but I was a double art and psych major. And then I graduated from college and I worked at a law firm. And then he said, I want you to be a lawyer. So I worked at this law firm and I took the LSAT and I said, I don't want to be a lawyer either. And, you know, serendipitously, I found art therapy and I thought, hey, this is practical. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm very compassionate. I have a lot of empathy. I'm really, I have these two degrees. This seems like the right thing for me to do. And so it found me. And then through you do when you're kind of in the right relationship with being a therapist, a therapist, it's recommended that you do your own personal work, but you'd be surprised the amount of therapists that don't do their own personal uh-huh. therapy. Um, and so in my personal therapy work, um, I remember that I had a lot of trauma growing up. Mm. And so it, it kind of um, dovetailed like 
with my history that I minimized significantly mm-hmm. in terms of an A, an a score. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Talk about. Um, and so I have a lot of, I have a very complex trauma history and um, just many, many different things. And so working in the population that I did for the first 10 years of my life was, Renee would say it's not rocket science, but she's a shame researcher. <laughs> it's not rocket science yeah. why I was doing the work I was doing, right. including becoming a shame expert. Right. So right. all those things were, you know, I, I come by those things humbly and I'm someone who walks my talk. You know, it's so interesting because even that one I was telling you about earlier, I, I think it was maybe before we st- like officially started, but uh, someone I just interviewed that was an immigrant from Russia and she was saying how much that influenced some of her choices and how she was an outsider when she came and like how over time you realize how much of the work you do is really to help that that person at that time like you're you're just working it out in a different way and i think the idea of like being able and i've heard it in a lot of interviews like the the idea of being able to do for someone else that you couldn't do for yourself or someone else couldn't do for you and the like the richness in that and the like healing like i have three boys and so I had a lot of stuff going on when I was growing up, but now through being a parent and through these boys, I can like fix a lot of that and like not fix it, but just, I guess heal is really the word, like through, you know, me showing up to things and being present and having food in the house and all these things. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm like a capable human that like learned even without the model. So I feel like for people that are out there and they're not quite, I feel like I talk to a lot of people that are like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what kind of job I want to have, or they're at a crossroads. I talk to a lot of, given my age, I talk to a lot of people that are like, I want a second act, but I, you know, and it's getting a little bit to those strengths and to those feelings of like, what is your mission and your passion? And, and like having conversations with coaches or other people to, it's, it's not easy to just sit. You have to really reflect and and have someone ask you some good probing questions because it's not always right at the surface. And oftentimes like my clients in that space are super surprised to be like, I never even, like some people, I want to be a teacher. It's like, what? I never, you know, you, you unearth things when you kind of at least take a step to be explore, you know, have that exploration of like, who am I and what do I really like to do? And what, what's going to make me feel, I think that intersection of loving what you do feeling like you make an impact and then it doesn't feel like work, you know? Yeah. So I feel like there's just so much there for people to think about and to reflect on. And I love your, you know, in terms of talking about relationships and management of relationships and your own capacity versus others and diving into that a bit um, is really, really helpful. And remembering it's so easy to forget all the other people and what their (laughs) level of, you just think about your own, right? And that's kind of how you operate in the world. So it's so helpful to think, oh, that person could have a thimble. And so yeah. how am I, you know, am I in a better position to sort of allow for that if that's what's going on? So I feel like that's really, that's a good nugget to, to chew on and think about for sure. Um, what about for you in terms of just like whether a moment you were talking about some of your own trauma or or a mentor that has really shaped you in a way that you think i'm not really interested in people like when they pivot so or or like how they got through something in terms of that resilience so is there something and you might have like a few that you could choose from but is there something you know i'm like if someone asked me that question i'd be like do you have three hours because i you know there's a bunch but do you have one that sort of sticks out that you think, wow, this is like really affected me in a way that changed your choices? 
mentor to, like a, a person or. We are busy scheduling relatable interviews for 2023, and we love our relatable community. If you or someone you know would be a good guest for relatable, let us know. You can send an email to info at tfasoftskills.com. Include the potential guest name and contact information. Please send all suggestions to info at tfasoftskills.com. I would say that, like, I have a good friend. She, she lives in she's Belgian, and she's like, she always says, like, damn, Amy, if people knew your story, everybody would have hope. <laughs> That's what I said about that because that's the baseline. That's my baseline. And because I show up so differently, I'm not the person who even came to art therapy, you know, in 2002. So I would say each time, you know, life has just really showed up for me to keep on getting my own attention. I'm like, Oh, I don't need that right here. And then it comes bigger and gets my attention in a bigger way. And even when I went to my first in-person experience with Brene, I had been a therapist for like over a decade and I'm like, Oh, this is for me. I have shame. Yeah. What? Like, you're kidding me. And so, and I just thought about all the kids I worked with and how much shame they carried and shame used to be talked about in terms of like, like self-perception or like, forget the old word that people used to use, but it was like a thinking place. And guilt, and so right? Like, guilt. They're very, yeah. people confuse the two a lot. I yeah. Think. Um, and it's like shame is a whole bodied feeling. It's like, I am worthless. And my story is not even worth telling. And I'm, it's not even worth it for me to ask for help because I'm such an, you know, a failure and an F up. And like, you know, this is why these things happen to me because I have bad luck or because I'm bad. And like that kind of sense of, I don't deserve to be here. I think that that's that shame. Whereas guilt is, I did something that's really not okay, but I can separate what I did from who I am. Mm-hmm. And so there's a massive difference with all of the research around it, but when I started to understand that what I was carrying was a lot of shame, that I was um, not the bad one anymore, that was a huge, like, life-changing experience for me. And then to do this work with so many different people who sought political asylum or things that were really, yeah. you know, quite quite challenging, that this was, like, the most life-giving thing that I could do. Like, paying it forward in this way is, like, such a massive ripple effect that, I feel so humbled to be able to do that for people. So, Do you feel like, as you talked about the shame piece, and I know Brene Brown's done a lot with it, obviously there's lots of books people can you know read and, and she's TED Talks and all sorts of things out there on shame. But I, I think as you were talking, how many people do you think come from that place of shame but don't know it? Oh, that's a great question. Like high achievers, we could fill a couple stadiums. <laughs> Right, uh, because you you see yourself through your like your successes and the places where you're failing. It's just so painful. You're like, that's not shame. It's just I'm a failure. Right. Like, right. I'm bad. Like, I can't get a partner to do this for me or to love me because there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And people have no idea because they believe it's a capital T truth that that's shame, but it. I mean, we could all the highways in America kind of shame. Like, so it's, yeah. it's super, it's, it's so debilitating and it holds us back. So it's like, what I tell high achievers is like, if this is who you've been with shame, what do you think your life is yes. going to be like after we deal with the shame? Like, you kicked it out of the park with suppressing the pain and the suffering. 
because it's a mess. It's it's messy. Right. And you think that you are the mess. And it's like, if you can, if you could have a a strategy and a skill set to work through the big feelings that are underneath the shame, imagine who you're going to be and what's going to be possible when you don't carry that anymore. And that's not holding you like a brick that's taking you to the bottom of the ocean of your soul every day. (laughs) Right. Right. But I think like giving it like, you're different. Like, yeah. I be like, you're, you're different, Amy. What's, what's happening here? Like, yeah. When I started doing that shame work, I looked different. Wow. I, I physically looked different. And Interesting. yeah, like people just be like, just, it's just massive. It's such a gift to be able to work through how shame is showing up in the body. And it's not just the, the story is like, we can like brush that out when you really free yourself from it. <laughs> that. And I think the idea of like, especially with the high achievers in terms of the shame, you know, being able to understand where some of the, you know, I, I, I'm brought in a lot to help people rehab, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of the corporate space of like chronic, you mentioned it before, like people that are yelling or people that are toxic or people that just have a hard time communicating or, you know, those folks, it's like, understanding where the root is or that it's not, you know, it's not the things you do. It's, it's not you as a person. So how do you start to bifurcate that and then understand it as a thing that, you know, again, like we talked about before, this is a lifetime of either you're being told something or the way you lived it or, you know, and, and it just gets in there and it affects everything. So it's just, yeah, an openness to at least open that up a little bit to, I think like to your point can just transform you in, in a lot of different ways. So hopefully, oh, I, yeah. I have somebody who I see who's very high up at a fortune 20 company and it has changed, radically changed how she leads. Yeah. And people have such courageous conversations with her because they know that she creates a lot of psychological safety. And when someone is not creating psychological safety within her, you know, purview, she's able to come to them with a lot of boundaries to say these conversations you're having with other people are not psychologically safe, but also have compassion. And every time people are just so deeply touched because they're really seen with dignity and respect. And it's not like you're this monster or you're, you're a mess. It's like, she just, she embodies to me what like leadership can be. Mm. And I wish that more leaders could really lead from that place of both and not like, Compassion, like we're going to placate and pretend like it's not happening, which is some family systems and some professional systems, or punish and not give opportunity for like a real mid-force correction that's not just like, we're going to give you another try. It doesn't work like that. Like people need support. Yeah. I also a big fan. I mean, obviously I'm not a clinical practitioner, but I I genuinely feel that the authenticity people have, so the, the closer you get to, to the authentic version. And I think shame and other ways we behave gets in the way of being that and that authentic person. And I, I know I found at this point, the closer I am to that true version of me, everything's easier. <laughs> like my relationships are easier. My work is easier. I'm, I get more client. It's just, you know, everything sort of feeds it, but to get to that place where you're really, vulnerable and not to, you know, not um, casually or in a way that's not, you not have some boundaries. I'm not suggesting you're just an open wound for people to, but, but th- that sense of like, I'm, I can be the real me 
and see what happens versus like, you know, cover it up or shade it with these other habits, I think, or behaviors that we're so used to using, you know. Uh, so cool. Um, so this is going to be a little bit of a strange segue. I think uh, you know that I'm um, someone who has, in terms of my second act, I've really focused a lot on soft skills development, which authenticity is one of them. And I feel like there's such a gap in what we're seeing with our professionals now. And, and that's really in part why I left uh, my career. It, it really, you know, is sort of off to the races and everything was going great. great. But I, I felt like, man, I want a legacy. I want impact. I want to feel like there's some fulfillment. And I, a lot of these issues in the workplace are rooted in soft skills acumen. Like they're rooted in relationships and influence and collaboration and being able to, you know, interpersonal skills and, you know, with the advent of technology, with, I think, people being so busy, there's just something has changed over the years with respect to being taught. Like in my family growing up, it was it was expected to look people in the eye. It was expected to go to somebody else's house and ask them open-ended questions. It was, you know, I had that sort of built into my upbringing a lot of people do not. And I would say even more so now, like you just, you hear it from teachers, you hear it from employers, you hear it from, from, you know, everybody that like, what is going on? What is happening with this whole gap? And so for you, in terms of either the clients, I feel like you could answer this in two ways, right? Like from the clients you see, or in your own career, like obviously as a psychotherapist, a coach, you, you know, some of this is basics, like you got to have, be able to do this. You have to be able to talk to people, but for for you, I guess pick pick which lane. But what are two two of the soft skills for you that you think are most critical for people to be successful? So I think especially for like the really high achievers who yes. manage yeah. or lead, allowing yourself to be seen as a whole person, mm. and that doesn't mean oversharing. But many people hold in their interpsychic landscape that a leader is someone who's on a pedestal. Yeah. And to allow yourself to know that people have more trust when you take yourself down from the pedestal and that will create massive change in your like your performance and how people want to be led by you and how people want to knock it out of the park for themselves. And it will have just such a massive ripple effect. Like, but to get down from the pedestal is terrifying because we have a story that the more yeah. perfect I am, the more people will admire me and you don't want to be admired. You want to be trusted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so admiration is only like a bandaid for what you really want as a leader and trust is priceless. Yeah. And so to leave from a place of I'm a real person and getting, you know, getting your own personal support. If you don't know how to do that, because most, most people who are high achievers know how to be perfect, but they don't want to be real. So yeah. getting, yeah. getting, getting support support on like authenticity is not a thinking place. It's a feeling place. Yeah. Um, you don't throw out thinking out the window, but I tell people like, you think that your brain is your CEO and it's really the project manager and good leaders know they check in with their inner guidance system first, whatever that is, if it's their heart or if it's meditation, if it's prayer, um, if it's being in nature, if it's running, like, you know how to get clean on what's real and not reactive. Um, that creates, like that's a soft skill that's super soft. Yeah. Yeah. And um it, it will it will change it will change everything. Yeah, I love it. I love that. And then for you, um, 
just as you reflect on your journey, you know, it's been a pretty wild ride <laughs> in terms of, you know, your shifts and the changes and the practice that you're you're doing now and just, you know, traveling and your global work, like there's just so many elements now to where you are. What, when you think about maybe to your like 20, 25 year old self and you think about, you know, <laughs> you know, where you are, like what advice would you give her that might make that journey just a little bit easier? Is there anything that you would tease out and say, all right, Amy, let's have a talk. So I would, yeah, let's have a talk. I would say you're headed for um, some rapid evolution and you can choose more quickly if you stop worrying about what other people think. Mm, yeah. Um, because I have a really good ability to see and feel into what the whole pulse of everything is. And I, delayed a lot of decisions. I prolonged decisions that could have been made a lot quicker. Um, and that caused a lot of hurt mm-hmm. and for other people and for me. But um, I think that if I could have known that I was going to face the fire, no matter, no matter what I chose, yeah. I would have chosen, I wouldn't have been like singed mm-hmm. for a long time for three years. And then I go through the fire, like <laughs> go through the fire and then we're going to heal and it's going to work out. Um, I think that's what I would tell her because um, Dan would always reflect to me for years. He said, you, you reflect, you, you um, evolve at the rate of a comet. And I thought that was like a line he told people. And then I finally realized it was just something he said to me. <laughs> so yeah, he and I would laugh about that. Yeah. But you know, if that, if your path is like that, if you are, if you are someone who just evolves, 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 which high achievers oftentimes do, mm-hmm. especially people who have multiple businesses or, you know, just, have a big um, drive for life to realize, to take responsibility in a different way rather than thinking you're actually caring for people by prolonging a decision you're not. And do you think that's, that's rooted? That's do you think that's rooted in fear? I think it's rooted in how people are raised, but it's also, it's also rooted in white supremacy mm. that you should take care of other people um, and the dominant people. And, um, it's not to say that we're, we're here to be selfish, but there's a very different dynamic when people are true to themselves because when we're true to ourselves, that's when we can trust. People can tell when we're lying yeah. and we're, when we're betraying ourselves, we're betraying other people too. And yeah. if it's personal, professional, it has a massive ripple effect when you just even know how messy the truth is. When you say it, people's bodies feel released. Like sometimes their shoulders will come down, they'll sigh. And the truth, no matter how my answer, the truth will set you free. When you cage up your truth because you think that you're going to hurt someone by letting it out. Yeah. And it's not about like dumping on people, but it's about owning our decisions, even though they're very uncomfortable at times. Oh, so powerful. This has been uh, just a real treat and uh, I could talk to you forever. So maybe if you're open to, we'll have you come back again sometime. But I just am so, it's such a pleasure to meet you. And I feel like, um, I got so much great insight and just uh, have a real sense of of what you do. So tell me, tell uh, tell our listeners like where to go. Um, you have your website, right? What's your website in case people are interested? My website's my name, amybabish.com. I keep it really simple. If you if you are starting a business, make it your name because people will never forget your name. Don't do some kind of like he said, she said, yeah. they they said. Make it very easy. That's a great business strategy. The best way to reach me is my newsletter because I always share things there first. Like mm-hmm. if I'm offering a retreat or a special package. Um, and then I'm fairly active on Instagram, but you know, it's always, 
it's part of the matrix, yeah. the hologram. Is it really real? <laughs> I just kind of just do it because people, that's, you know, people yeah. are going to organically find me somehow. And yeah, then those are the, those are the two, too many ways. Do you um, do like retreats for hire, right? So people have a business or yes. they want it. Like it isn't just have to be one that you're already have and people, oh, come, no. like you can, people can reach out I to you. Love, I'm already thinking love, about you for a potential client. So I'm going to be reaching oh, out to you separately. <laughs> yeah. So, so I love, I love an invitation and okay. I used to travel all over the world, but I also during COVID did a lot of virtual retreats. So I'll do them for like the core team, but I also, I can do a really intimate retreat for up to 50 people like in Lebanon where I'm, I'm going in, in April. It's 50 people from all over the region. Okay. And I can go really, really deep, probably with, you know, up to 75, but for people to feel like they're really getting something, 50 yeah. people. Okay. And, um, but, you know, I just, the mutual friend that found us, it was a virtual two and a half hour experience. I do end of the year closing rituals for people to, with their team about like, what were the lessons learned? Do we need to repair anything? Like, are we going to blast out the next year? Like, I do all kinds of things. So whatever okay. people awesome. dream into, here for it. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. This was so I, I would love to come back and we'll see how much has changed between the two of us as the next time. I, I know. I know. It's like even in six months, a lot could change. It's like a lot could change. Which, yeah, the rapid way in which I operate too. So this is great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy, for joining me on Relatable. I really enjoyed hearing about your new practice and the unique way in which you coach people. A few things I loved hearing about, how people can dialogue with their bodies, not only through words, the importance of not only showing up for help, but also being ready to do the work. And you don't want to be admired, you want to be trusted. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and Hannah for your support. A big thank you to our Relatable community. We continue to grow our audience and so appreciate all of our listeners who stayed with us. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube or your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.